Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, we have a pretty interesting show. I've done this topic a bit before, but now it's more relevant and needs to be covered in more detail for the coming future, near very near future circumstances. And <clears throat> basically, tonight's show is on the immediate bold actions needed to defeat socialists, which is Nazi-like propaganda. Now, <clears throat> most people think everything is left or right or this or that. And it's hard to really put it, put the kind of thing we're talking about in those terms because what is left to some people is right to others and vice versa. So really it has to be about what you're attempting to do rather than uh, what you call yourself or you identify yourself as being or whatever. So we're not going to really discuss the question of left or right because that doesn't mean much. But what does mean a lot is the history of how uh, propaganda has been developed over time to destroy political opponents and sometimes take over entire countries. And for most people, uh, they may know pieces of what I'm going to talk about tonight, but probably have not heard the whole picture. And I'm even going to go back to way back in the past because some of those deals with with the Jewish people living today, and that has to go back a long time ago to understand some of their dilemma. But for right now, let me just deal with the question of what propaganda is and how it really started to be, uh, we'll say, put into action. The first experts, when I say experts, I mean those that wrote books that uh, actually had some significant uh, effect on a society using propaganda was Marx and Engels. Who were they? Well, they were Germans who, at the time they were writing late 40s into the 50s, 1850s, uh, their ideas were based upon practical ways of taking control over a country. They concluded, this is in the writings, they concluded after visiting Russia and spending some time there that you can't take over a country of almost any significant size uh, by going after the government itself. That was their decision. They decided that the thing that seems to be in most countries, and particularly Russia was their example country, uh, that was doable was to create what was known as a party. Because parties were just seen as groups of people who had some particular ideas about what they want or need from the government, and sometimes from others as well. 
And they thought Russia was good for this because they were pretty open about it. They allowed parties to be freely represented, provided they didn't uh, go off and kill people, which they sometimes did anyway, um, because they thought that it uh, gave them and their their government, which is really uh, an aristocracy, a uh, openness, like they were ready to listen to and have dialogue with the people. And it was done mostly to gain, uh, we'll say, control over people, because uh, once somebody joined a party, then the government knew who and where they were and what they were trying to do. And uh, if they acted out against the government, it was easier to round them up and get them. So they kind of liked the party system. And so Marx and Engels decided that there should be some way to turn this thing around. And so what they, after visiting Russia and finding out how things were being run at the time, they found that the aristocracy that was running Russia was doing a so-so job, they would go back and forth in some issues that created a lot of havoc. They had wars continually internally and externally, which is not good for them. And uh, they were a very large country, uh, pretty much as big as you can get at that time on Earth. So they thought it was a great place, if they could get it in Russia, to try it out. And what they did is they started the Communist Party. And the idea of the Communist Party was that it was communal, which that's where the communist comes from. And that meant that they would work with anyone and everyone for a common goal. That was one of their big deals. So that comes from the idea of communal. And it was very popular uh, because that meant that the party wasn't against everything else. It was like trying to work with everybody else. And they thought that this would be a great plan for what they then called communalism or communism. And it was uh, almost overnight effective. It brought about significant enough changes so that while it did take over certain areas and it existed for a long time, uh, what they found was that it was resistant to being easily wiped out. And that the government itself oftentimes was in favor of its communal aspect. Because it was trying to get along with everybody else, supposedly. Okay. So that was the beginning, if you want to call it, of the propaganda movement. Because the propaganda of communalism, or communism, was completely uh, a, a BS move to get power and control. Eventually, and they thought it would take about 50 to 100 years over a country the size, say, of Russia.
but they believed it could be done. Interestingly enough, they weren't doing it just for some academic exercise. And they did all this writing in Germany because it would have been far too dangerous to write some of the truth about what they were talking about in uh, Russia. So they stayed pretty much away from doing that sort of thing. But their books got published and communism became the first real method of, of propaganda. That Now, there had been lots of propagandic things done in the past, but they were all done by governments themselves against and with other governments. This is something completely new. So that that kind of like changed the circumstance. It took it to the common persons, common man, they might have said, but person, uh, to uh, make happen. And that was new. Now, what happened after that? Well, what happened after that was uh, soon after Marx and Engels published their works, uh, a guy named Colonel Frank in London, England, uh, became what was called a national an idea, the, the idea of national socialism, which included taking over the government in England. Now, that's a, that's a brave move, and he, he lasted for a couple of years trying to do this, but soon was shut down because what he was trying to do was to supplant, directly supplant, not like the communists, uh, the existing government where he was headquartered. <laughs> Not a good idea. So they uh, fixed his wagon, they shut him down, and uh, eventually they shut him down. And that was an interesting mistake because a lot of people after him realized that uh, going after a party-type system is a lot safer than directly trying to change the government. And so that's where things kind of, we'll say, fell apart. Now we come to uh, bef just uh, before World War One, And during the time, 10 years or so, before World War One, there was a lot of, we'll call it, sort of party activities going on in both Germany, Russia, and other places that looked much more like the old-style communism, and in some cases was even called that. And uh, the major difference in Germany, when it took hold there, was that Germany included some of the wealthiest of the elite group of people. Even though they weren't in the government proper, they got them to produce weapons and other things and then contribute 
in some ways to the policies of the government, but the government still had control. And most of the propaganda was about the superiority of German, we'll say it, inventions, German things, uh, and then eventually the idea arose as World War I approached that Germany had a better political system because their political system was founded upon a financial, we'll call it, agreement with the wealth of the country. And this promoted uh, a near victory for Germany uh, because they, for all intents and purposes, uh, had more uh, things that they could devote to fighting a war. And they also believed that their method or thoughts about governing people was more strategically and logically correct than that of some other countries, other countries being like Russia or uh, like uh, England and, uh, of course, everybody else they ended up in some kind of dispute with, France eventually. But the, the, biggest, the biggest point to be made about this was that the propaganda that was promoted was the propaganda of wealth and having and being more capable of creating things and also of having a stable, if you want to call it that, government that isn't prone to radical change. So that was their big deal. Uh, obviously, uh, they ended up losing the, uh, the war. And in their loss in the war, they, uh, of course, made huge errors in aligning themselves eventually with uh, Hitler and with what we refer to as Nazis. Now, at that time, the idea of right and left were not necessarily what we would call it today. The, 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 what were the Nazis, really? They were a group that eventually decided that the best way to, uh, we'll say, have a world that they're important in is for them to have the necessary weapons and the necessary uh, realization or right to use them as they saw fit. And then in addition, they uh, created a, we'll say, uh, uh, enemy list that included some big countries that were not probably too smart for them to do, 
they started a uh, war with what was originally a country they had had a treaty with, and that was Russia. And then they had eventually the goal of uh, taking France and then England. Now, the interesting thing is that they were the most proficient at developing propaganda. Why? Because they realized that uh, in order to convince people that what they were doing was good for everybody, they would have to create many, many lies because none of what they were really saying was anything more than totalitarian uh, force and uh, control. So they developed some of the strongest, most critical propaganda that has ever been created. And this system of propaganda was unusually effective. They used the ideas of going after their opponents as, we'll, we'll say, uh, being both inept and uh, wrong and harmful to others. And they convinced people of this by putting out huge amounts of defamatory and lies of defamatory information about whoever they were going after. They became real experts of it. And we don't recognize today that what we're really talking about, this Nazi style of socialism, is the socialism that has become the most effective style, and it's actually the style that's presently being used, like in here in the United States and in other countries, to destroy the opponent by uh, finding sometimes false and sometimes correct negative things about that person and then distorting it to incredibly uh, horrible levels. So the idea is to villainize and make their opponent into someone who has to be destroyed. And this allows them to say or do virtually anything they want. And, and the, the guy that came up with this plan, a fellow named Himmler, uh, was uh, actually a genius. <laughs> he came up with this plan almost single-handedly. He said, hey, we can wipe out anybody if this is how we handle it. And he was right. 
So when we talk today about trying to defeat this kind of propaganda, we're talking about overcoming the most brilliantly laid out and significantly hostile and amazingly Nazi, which many people call the right side, the left, but it's not anything like that. Right or left is only as they conveniently want to call themselves. It doesn't make any difference. And the the methodologies are copied, but then they're intensified based upon the opponent or opponents that they are fighting against. The only thing that overcomes the unbelievably potent method of propaganda that the Nazis created is bold action. You have to take actions rather than get into debates or arguments. Because the more you argue with them, the more propaganda they're ready to pour on top of you, and you end up getting into a worse and worse circumstance. Now, this has been known for a while, that the bold actions were the only thing that ever worked against the propaganda created in Nazi Germany. But bold actions do require uh, a level of force, and the force has to be used by someone who has the ability to exercise such levels of force. And so we bring ourselves to the present circumstances of today. And it's not, uh, it's not very favorable for democracy or for a good outcome because uh, we have a president of the United States who is um, unwilling to not get into the propaganda fight. In other words, he can't keep his mouth shut. And he wants to continually uh, fight in a verbal sense before he does much of any activity, actions. And that's a huge error. Could somebody else take his place? Well, yeah, maybe, but it really doesn't matter. He could be almost totally silent against the propaganda and it'd be just as effective. Why? Because the bold actions that are needed, which he has started to do, by the way, are much more effective than any propaganda. The bold actions just simply take control out of the hands of the propagandists. All they have is words. And they use the words to diminish the ability to lead, and the ability to be maybe even reelected or be seen by anybody as being an okay person or whatever. So 
here's where the president needs to take a lesson from history and to also maybe change his action to an incredibly intensified, bold actions uh, response with virtually no verbal response. Don't argue with, don't take on, absolutely don't send out any emails or, or you know, uh, Twitters or anything like that, because that's suicide. It doesn't help you. It really hurts you. And he'll continue to look worse and worse. But if he takes more and more of the bold actions, which he's been doing of late, the results could be that he will destroy the network of propaganda created by the Nazi-like people who presently are trying to destroy him. And the interesting thing about this is he is doing some of that, but not enough. So, consequently, I'm talking about it tonight. Why just ignore it? Well, because the most that with this is what was discovered in the original Nazi Germany uh, situation. The most effective thing was to not fight on their turf not fight uh, to, about the propaganda that's being pushed at you. Let people think or whatever they want about you. But take bold actions. Each bold action causes the propaganda to fall apart. Now, some of the bold actions that Trump is taking involves uh, how we're going to deal with people who are here not legally, with uh, various other problems in terms of redistribution of, uh, of power through uh, ballot changes and changing uh, the, the voting systems and doing anything like that. Those are places that he's paying more attention to now. The success of that could be quite high. Uh, especially if you use the power uh, in ways that are almost unbeatable. So you don't pick to take even a bold action in an area that is your weakest place to take it. You go after your strongest places first. As you build yourself up that way, the propaganda diminishes more and more, and then you can go into your weaker areas and still take bold actions that will be successful. And so this system that I'm describing is a, a really a psychology system as much as it is a political system. And it has to do with understanding the past. And what is being used today is actually a Nazi form of propaganda. And so that's why I said in the title for tonight's show, Nazi-like propaganda. Uh, the success of beating it one time, let's say that uh, he takes some bold actions 
And the propagating the surrounding all of that particular area where he takes the bold actions fades away. That success leads to much greater levels of success each time that that happens. Not just because the propaganda itself won't be as effective, but because the bold actions become more and more effective just because of the accumulation of them. And also he can go after the ones that are harder to do later and take a break and still get them done. So you can see the general ideas of what I'm trying to explain tonight. Now, why am I so worried about the other side of this? Well, let's say that our president just can't let go of his cell phone and Twitters and everything else and keeps going round and round the board with fighting the ridiculous propaganda. The net effect is it not only diminishes his positions, it diminishes himself. And people start seeing him as a buffoon who is fighting a stupid battle against something itself that is stupid. So you don't want to put yourself into that place. Now, for a while, he was doing it, no doubt. Now, maybe this is a change. We can hope for that. That's what we're trying, I'm trying to hope for. What happens if Trump changes enough the way I said in the next few months? Well, he will, from that point forward, uh, become unbeatable in the next election, which is a pretty good thing. But he'll also do something that's probably much more important. He will uh, set forth a standard, we'll call it, of behavior that could become something that almost all future presidents learn from. Uh, there's been presidents that knew a little bit of what I'm saying and did some of it, but no one has been so good at it as just to not get involved in it. And that's what's needed. Let's assume he wins the next election. What is he faced with? Well, pretty much the biggest problems at hand that he will be trying to deal with will be uh, the need to restructure the relationships we have with certain uh, other nations. And he's already starting to work on that. Everybody thinks this business about, you know, Greenland and wants to buy Greenland. You know, that's really, that is only a, uh, it's a, it's a fake move. It's not meant to be what it looks like. It, it's giving the opportunity for a future improved negotiation with the control of the sea lanes that go by, which are becoming open because of ice going away. And uh, he wants to partner with Denmark 
about that. But the partnership has to be on a more equal footing than it presently is, uh, because although we have a right to have a base in Greenland and certain other rights, we don't have a right to the sea lanes and how they're going to be used. And that gets real difficult. And he wants to have treaties that makes it so that we and they still can control those things without others trying to uh, take over them themselves, other countries. So he's not particularly concerned about Denmark, <laughs> but he is concerned about ensuring that there's open uh, lanes of, for boats to travel down across what it used to be just solid ice. Now, what else is some of what he's attempting to do with other countries? Well, he has taken the position that Israel is a critical country for the United States to keep as both an ally and in some ways as a, um, we'll call it, defender of the Middle East and an offender against uh, the most evil uh, countries in both the Middle East and the Far East, which includes China, of course. And so his attempt there is to uh, negotiate a position, and he's part of that is already moving his way with the Brexit issue, etc. But, but it's it's much bigger than that. His his need is to to negotiate uh, a way, so to speak, that uh, the standing of Israel is that it exists by the right that was given to it in the 1970s and further that its use of nuclear weapons, atomic weapons, is not only permissible, but necessary, because it stands in the way of all the bad guys that surround it. Also, it becomes almost an immediate response to some countries that would take much longer for us to try to deal with because of the distance between them and those countries and us and those countries. So Israel is uh, unusually important, and now I'm going to go way back in time so that you can understand some more of the importance and why there are really two classes of Israelis and there are some other things going on. Uh, going back to time in about 55,000 B.C., a long time ago, a group of people 
that would could be identifiably determined to be of Jewish, the, the eventual people who will become Jewish, uh, were taken and developed away from the conflicts that were happening in a much greater level evil area on Atlantis. And Atlantis was already split in a whole bunch of different segments, country, peace countries, and that sort of stuff, city-states. And the Jews were that, these eventual Jews, these people that went off, spent like a, a millennia developing themselves into having most of the answers to solving the problems of evil on Atlantis when they got back. Made every bit of sense to do this because it was an intellectual, mental, rather than a physical war attempt. Well, what happened? They were very complacent before they were attempted to be moved back into the Atlantean era areas, and they didn't want to go. They said we're pretty happy where we are. We don't want to get involved in that mess that's going on over, you know, in uh, Atlantic, which is where the mess was taking place. And we'd prefer just to stay right where we're at. But they were semi-forced to return uh, by what we call then the spiritual hierarchy, which was just a fraction of the number of people presently in it. And the present number is very small, so you can imagine 30 or 40 people, basically, was the number somewhere in that ballpark. Got them to go back, reluctantly and with great consternation. And when they got finally within range of becoming part of the Atlantean mess that was going on, uh, they got split. And they, uh, one part of them went to the north side, the other to the south. Then they were effectively enemies of each other because these two sides were fighting each other. <clears throat> and they had many, many technologies that they had developed that were adopted by the Atlanteans. Just took them from them, right? And it greatly aggravated what was already a bad series of Atlantean wars, making it far worse with many, many, many more people dying and uh, leaving these people's long-term relatives in the future, the, the, the ones that we would recognize as being Jews, uh, with a problem that they had expended a lot of intellectual capability and cap and political capabilities that they were taught in, um, in wrong ways, doing wrong things. And they had to work that out sometime in the future. Well, they never managed to succeed 
in doing that during the true Atlantean period. And when Atlantis went down, uh, which is in biblical terms getting close to what we call the Genesis period of time, uh, the uh, Jews that were the people who were related to being Jews were now in uh, a desperate circumstance because they had no place they could go where they weren't being attacked or whatever. And until there was a an agreement or a series of agreements made, they actually had no country and no place they could be. How we know that eventually they became a country. Okay? That really happened. I'm talking in antiquity now. However, that country came and went, came and went, and it had a lot of problems, right? And it was plagued by constant invasions and destructions and other things. And many of them got captured and taken away and put into other places. And it was a bad thing. Okay, so that leaves us getting close to the modern age we are today. And finally, uh, after the end of World War II, the Jews were given the land we call Israel, but they were immediately thrown into fights with the Arabs that lived around them. And the battles that they fought were constant. And so they were, with the help of the United States, assisted in developing atomic or nuclear weapons. This was to maintain their survival because they didn't have sufficient uh, numbers of people that could fight 10 times, 20 times that number and win. So the atomic bomb became the, uh, we'll say, the compensatory factor in that tremendous difference in numbers of people. Once they developed an atomic weapon, which almost completely came from our assistance, the United States, they couldn't have done it with us, let's put it like that. Once they developed that, they were in a totally different position because no one else, no one else other than the Soviet Union, at that time, had atomic weapons. These weren't around to have, you know. And although the Chinese were certainly moving in that particular direction, they weren't very effective at that time. 
so that put uh, Israel in this unique position, and that was a good thing. But remember, there's still this karmic factor that's going on. And so here's the problem today. You have some Jews who understand their relationship to the world, including atomic weapons and everything else, who stand firmly with the United States. And then there are those who claim to be Jews, but do not support Israel, nor Israel having atomic weapons in most circumstances, and who are actually against Israel, at least in some respects. Well, that's a crazy thing, because now you've got two sets of Jewish people. One who is pro-Israel and atomic weapons and anything else that they might need, and the other who is against. The ones who are against are the ones who are propagandists. And strangely, they're acting more like Nazis <laughs> than anything else. And the ones who are for Israel, obviously, which includes the president, president of the United States, see what Israel really is and how they have a responsibility to the world that they sometimes didn't pay attention to or didn't execute properly. But now they are. And it's unfortunate that you have so many, although it's not the majority, of uh, Jewish people, most of them living right where we are, but in some other countries as well, who are against Israel proper. And at the present time, the propaganda behind this is extreme. So what has the President of the United States chosen to do? Well, he, you know, first he was doing a lot of the fighting with the propagandists, which was losing. But now he said, okay, so there's some people that don't like Israel who claim to be Jews. Well, I don't like them. So you guys could be whatever you want to be. But you're not going to get any support in any way from from this president. And then what, he, what is he doing with Israel in terms of support? Well, the most important thing is the complete recognition of the importance of Israel and the willingness to give Israel whatever they need to continue to be the supreme operating force in the Middle East. And that's, that's his role. That's what he's chosen to do. So he's very positive about Israel. People say, well, Trump is what, who knows what. <laughs> That's really, I don't know what he is. I'm not sure he knows what he is. But 
certainly there are quite a few members of his family that are Jewish, and they side with the Israelis. And there is not much question that while he may actually not believe fully in the Jewish faith for whatever reasons or whatever, it doesn't matter to him. He's looking this at this as a political circumstance, not necessarily as a religious one. And that's a good thing, because that's a smart move. As long as you don't get into fights with the propagandists, who are actually Nazis, <laughs> which is so weird. Uh, so you really have the Nazis against the Jews in this whole, if you really look at it from the angles that I just described, against the Jews who live in Israel, Israeli Jews. It's, and so we we have a, a, an incredibly unusual circumstance from the standpoint of how and when and what we're trying to achieve in the process of um, making the world a better place. And we're going to come back and talk about that and a lot of other things. But for right now, we're going to go to a break for about uh, two and a half minutes, give or take, for right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. 
Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight we're doing a, a, a relatively complicated show. Immediate bold actions needed to defeat socialist Nazi-like propaganda. That's what we're talking about. But it's more, it's complicated as you may have found out at the end of the last uh, segment. And to try to achieve the results at least we're trying to do. The, the problem is that there is more ignorance in the world than there is understanding. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's ignorant, of course, but there's just more of it. And the reason for it is that there's still a lot of this darkness that comes from both propaganda and the idea that the people who supposedly know better should run everything and the rest of us should just sort of go away, right? Become become the uh, slaves of those people. Okay. So, the moving ahead from where I ended the last segment. In order for there to be a reasonable reasonable outcome to uh, the president, President Trump, uh, will say achieving what he's looking to do, which I'm going to talk about in a, in a few minutes, in order for that to take place, he's got to become incredibly uh, willing to take actions without argument with a bunch of crazy people, which is lots of crazy people badly, badly arguing. And he's got to be willing to ignore the verbal stuff because it isn't going to help him, it's going to hurt him. And he's got to stop doing some of the narcissistic business. Uh, you know, the problem with being a narcissist is that you always have something to say, and it's almost always the wrong thing to be saying at the time. <laughs> that's, that's literally a good a good explanation of narcissism. So he's got to get over that. Now, how do you get over it? By just doing the right thing, and maybe some people trying to convince him to stop doing that. That's what tonight's show is about. I'm not saying I'm talking to the president, but I'm talking to whoever will, he'll listen to anyway. So where do you go? What, what is it the kind of thing that <clears throat> that he has options to do as far as the political part of the world and making changes so that we have a freer world, one in which... Um, the right kinds of, we'll say, 
the right kinds of actions are taken by most people most of the time. That's a big deal. How do you get people on a planet that's so dark as Earth to move in that direction when the dark side seems to be winning? Well, there's a couple of things more to be discussed. And I think that uh, the next step, at least in the Trump agenda, is to uh, make enough deals, which he's good at doing, with enough countries that are willing to give up the propaganda BS stuff and to give up Nazi-like stuff. And he's got to pick those countries based upon the likelihood of success rather than just, well, wouldn't it be great if we could just get France to do this or that? That's probably not going to be the best answer for the circumstance. You could be very practical about what you can get and achieve. And going after almost impossible places, I'm not saying France is necessarily, but going after almost impossible places to change is not really a good idea. It wastes huge amounts of resources. And it provides more opportunity for the the, the propagandists to go, keep going after you. So you need to have relationships with countries who are going to walk with the same ideas of having fair trade, of developing a system of government that is not controlled by just a few people or a party such as, you know, what's going on in most of Europe. And also getting rid of even the currency problems that exist because, let's face it, the euro is <clears throat> a currency that is manipulated and controlled to control the countries that are part of of that system. So getting these countries freed from that is very important. Uh, there's probably a couple dozen countries, not just in Europe now, this is throughout the world, that Trump could be very successful in achieving this result. This is throughout the whole world. I'm not just talking about Europe. And so the likelihood of success is based upon where he chooses to do the battles. And that's a real, real uh, special kind of wisdom that you got it. I don't think you can really come up with it just by listening to some people talk about it or going to one of your aides or something. You've got you to gotta really deeply look at what the people are like that you're talking about, not just what their government says. or what, it, It's really, what are those people like? And, you know, the example, of course, is what's going on with uh, England. That's a real good example of how to probably do things more correctly. But there's a lot of other places 
And those places need more attention, and they need it right away. When might that attention come? My hope would be in the next year. I don't think he should wait till the next after, or until after the next election, because that could even be the way to lose the election. But it certainly isn't a way to achieve the ultimate goals, and it won't free the world from evil. And that's my greatest concern. We're really dealing with evil here, so. If you want to overcome the evil that is present, and I've given a lot of talks about this, you've got to change critical places that become stalwarts against further expansion of evil. It's not just any one place or any one kind of country, but you've got to select and find these and then work to develop the relationship with them. I would hope he does this, because this is a smart move if he does, and particularly if he does it before the election. Not to say he can't continue to do it after, but doing it before is is an even bolder statement, and boldness is what is going to be needed to defeat evil, which is Nazi socialist-like propaganda. That's what you're going to need. How many countries am I thinking about? Well, I could say 20, 30, maybe. It doesn't have to take a huge number. It just has to be that they all work together and they prove to the rest of the world that this is a better plan. And that other nonsense that's being put out as propaganda can be just ignored because it's nonsense. And it isn't true. Now, there are some other things to be considered. And I want to talk about these because they're pretty important. And that is that new weapons of mass destruction are coming on board. And we have to have alternatives to dealing with those weapons just as much as we do the political propaganda. The weapons themselves may not ever get used, but the fact that somebody has them is a big deal. Now, the idea of a nuclear-powered missile means that it can fly low, fast, and doesn't need to be refueled, it doesn't even need fuel. It's a dangerous weapon. And, of course, we know that that's been worked on by Russia. But, you know, they haven't been that successful with it. And uh, they've had a number of failures. And my way of looking at it would be that you supersede it completely if you develop a outer space weapon that is <clears throat> so incredibly fast and potent that it can knock out one of these other weapons in seconds to a minute or two. And that ends those as being dangerous. Uh, Why haven't we done that? Well, we had treaties. We decided not to make outer space a place where you're going to have all kinds of weapons. There's a lot of reasons, but the fact of the matter is none of those count anymore. 
What really counts is getting the job done. And the way to get the job done is probably from outer space, what we call outer space, at least above what we call our atmosphere. So how critical is it to develop what I'm talking about? I think it's real important because it defeats not just this nuclear-powered missile, but it also defeats a number of other kinds of new weapons that people are trying to create, not necessarily of the missile type, but that are very dangerous. And so from that standpoint, it, it gives the United States and possibly some of its allies uh, something to protect the world about, which adds to the ability to get countries to join us in the bigger picture that I talked about a few minutes ago. So you see, this all fits together. And so it isn't really bad for us that they're trying to develop these weapons because this all actually comes together as a single plan that could be effective. Now, what happens if we develop those weapons and then they try to develop the same kind of weapons and so forth. Well, the interesting thing about that is that based upon the past, and I think the past is a good example, uh, when we were actually trying to make outer space uh, base stations and so forth, not when we were using the Russians and other people, uh, we were darn good at it. We did exceptionally well, better than anybody else, partly because we had a different way of thinking about it. It wasn't there for political purposes. It was there for realistic uses. And uh, the space stations that we're familiar with, that docked with you know, our, our shuttle, et cetera, those were more political than they were realistically good for anything. And so what we would be doing is the opposite, moving away from political so that we're not telling people what we're really doing, but it nonetheless is effective. And to me, that is a, a probably a, a good place to, to think about going to, so to speak. Now, can we build weapons that can come in from outer space as, you know, I, I talked about these as just energy weapons that can strike and go down a mile into the ground. And so, yeah, we can. We can do that. Uh, it's another kind of missile, so to speak. And I don't have any problem with that idea. It's not as effective and not as an immediate response as something that's always out there and close to Earth. So our position at the present time is in this kind of hazy area, I'll call it, of the next uh, five or ten years. What's going to happen in five or ten years? Well, what's going to happen in the next two or three years is it's going to be discovered that there's all kinds of very advanced, higher level elements that exist that are super elements of the ones we know about uh, and they have a different a, a very different number to them in terms of how they're developed and they live in the 
uh, corona of the sun. They live in the outside, outside of the uh, sun's physical uh, body, we'll call it. And the only explanation for the extreme temperatures there is that these elements actually have to exist. Now, what does it mean that we discover all these elements? Well, big deal. Now, let's try to explain this as best as I can. Once we discover those elements, everything that I've talked about so far is put on the back seat because a, a totally new science starts to become developed almost immediately. And the ability to exist in outer space, the ability to uh, revitalize the planet Earth and to change weather on Earth, to change everything on Earth, becomes instantly, immediately, virtually immediately, a year or two, whatever, doable. And, you know, all this business about, oh, we're, we're in global warming and all this stuff, well, we'll be able to change the temperature on Earth almost by blinking our eyes. I mean, it will become that easy to create changes that we today would cost the entire fortune of the planet and make us into literally living in a prior world that doesn't exist anymore, but we'll make it like this, and a dangerous one, because we don't even know for sure the sun is continued to, will continue to be as hot as it is at the present moment. It could actually cool down some. And there's reasons to believe that that has happened because it has happened before, so we, it could happen again. So all these things come together with a new understanding of new elements that can change everything we do, everything we know, everything will, you know, we'll be able to travel to other planets in, in no, virtually no time at all. We'll be able to uh, leave our solar system, even head to some very or closer by stars. So it might take a while, but we can do it. And we'll also be able to do things that seem impossible. Time travel will become possible. And I went into this in the prior shows, how it would work and why, etc. Because with that kind of potential, where the, you have all these new elements and new energies, uh, you could do a, a things that are just beyond our present thought process. Now, why is it important to do time travel? Well, you're not going to really change time by doing it. What you're going to do is you're going to understand the past better. And you're going to have a better understanding of what the future most likely is going to turn out big. So there's, there's reasons to do it that are just for, we'll say, the understanding or consciousness of the situation. And we eventually will be able to move through other dimensions easily of time space, proving much of what I teach on this show, and giving us, Earth, a new opportunity to uh, rid the planet of evil. As I speak, evil is getting worse every day. 
it's growing. And there will be a point where it will not be, we won't be able to turn it around. My guess is it's about 100 years from now. But in 50 years, I don't know who's going to do it if we don't do it within the next 50 years. So, because you just reach a point where there's not going to be enough available structure, assets, etc., to keep the world from going completely evil. That's a very, very bad outcome because it means that the planet will have to be destroyed. Uh, not that evil is going to take over the world and control it and then take over other planets, which is what it wants to do, but it will be destroyed by a big asteroid probably. And they're going to get closer and closer until they start hitting, and then the big one's going to hit, and it's going to be all over. So that's the scary part. I'm hoping not to see that. Uh, I'm working with other people who are attempting at this point to reduce that possibility, if not eliminate it. And the best we can do is to let others understand that's really we're here to teach. We can't force anybody, of course, to go along with what we're saying, and we can't and wouldn't want to try to force people. The real issue here is that force is the other side, it's the dark side. That's what it uses, force. So we want to eliminate the forces. And you do that by people becoming more conscious. Consciousness reduces forces and allows people to uh, live a more enlightened life and to eventually do away with evil. All these are good things. Now, how much can we achieve from the goal of getting rid of propaganda? Well, I would say it's really up to our present president because the things that I'm talking about that need to be done in the next few years require the power of the presidency and the understanding of evil, to some extent at least, and the uh, willingness to directly involve yourself in doing bold actions. And the bold actions are just, we haven't even seen how bold they're going to have to get. Because we're really talking about huge possible changes that could come about just because of the changes in what we're discovering in our sun right now. So it's such a big deal. We've got to have somebody in there that's going to do it. Because if you get a president who... It's just like, oh, nice guy, but he doesn't want to take any bold actions and tries to get along and still listens to the crazy propaganda enough to be convinced not to fight much against it and everything else. That's a president that will help to destroy this planet. Now, if you get another Obama, he'll really destroy the planet because he didn't even come from this world. And his purpose was to do exactly what he did. Uh, you know, he wanted to destroy the relationships.
between countries who wanted to be free. And he wanted to make the systems that were put in place under his watch, so to speak, become permanent on Earth so that Earth was no longer a free world. He did pretty good with that. Scary guy. Really scary. Let's hope he doesn't come back for a while, if ever. So, all of that being the case, we have great opportunities, to me. There's still a lot of bold actions that I just hope, pray, whatever, Trump takes. And he doesn't wait too long. And there's some sign he's getting the idea which is real hopeful. Will he continue? I hope I hope he will. Yeah. Now, in terms of beyond the question of Trump getting reelected and doing the things that I've just discussed, his next role would be to set up a another presidency that's even stronger than he has been with his unfortunate narcissistic problems. And that could be his vice president right now, maybe joined with one of the more active women that have proven themselves to do exceptionally well. Uh, and I can think of several. I'm afraid to say any names at this point. <laughs> it's a bad. Might be bad for them to hear hear their name out there right now. But I've got I got the names in my head. I just won't say them. And so that would be a great ticket. Why is it a great ticket? Because I think it's time to have uh, a woman in one of the two offices. And it's also time to have people both vice president and president, who are willing to go to all lengths and take all actions that are needed to defeat propaganda and to wipe out, literally wipe out, the incredible amount of darkness that is embodied in these constant verbal attacks. Is that all possible? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I think we could get to those places that I'm talking about. And there's no reason to that you can come up with that, that clearly says that can't happen. So for me, that's a long time out of it. Now we're talking 10 years, more. It's, it's a long enough time. So enough of the world could be changed to make things more permanently better. And that's what we got to have. We, we need that. Just the one presidency of Trump will not achieve that type of goal. And it's also important to recognize that I don't think we have to have women or men 
in any role, specific. The idea of having a woman in office of either president or vice president, the purpose of it to me is to represent the ideas of a coming time, which is the, called the sixth sub-race age, when <clears throat> the viewpoints of women will be more sought after and much more greatly respected, as well as greatly improved from today. Why will it improve? Because the change in what is called the redevelopment makes it easier and better for them to be able to think more clearly than men will be able to by that point. And that is a coming fact that's coming. And we'll be here not much further than what I just talked about. So we're really coming into this. And although I've been teaching about this for decades and all kinds of other stuff, I guess the most important element to it is it's here, it's now, and you really can't stop it. So you better go with it and plan on it so that we have a better world. And I'm all in favor of that, for sure, and drive evil off this planet. And boy, I'd love to see that. And that would be a great outcome. Great. I will tell you that the people I work with are working very much for this goal. The things we're doing all are interconnected with everything I'm talking to you about tonight. It's not like we're off doing something that has nothing to do with this stuff. It's just the opposite. It's all part of it. Now, why have we chosen to go into the areas that we are doing. It has to do with education and communication with other people in the world. And we need to do it in ways that people find acceptable and also that they're interested in and that will be a way of teaching that they will find, we'll say, fascinating and uh, compelling to learn about. And also it defines and explains God, which is a big deal. So all these things are really within what we're doing, and that's because we're what's called a world service group along the second right, which really has to do with teaching. And so we're teachers. You know, that's what we mostly do is teaching, even if it's not exactly, doesn't look always like it's teaching, because we sometimes don't want it to, but it, it is what we're doing. Now, the other thing to realize is that the efforts that we're doing are being done by others, and we always want to work with everybody that's available to work with, but we also have... Uh, uh, ways to work with even people who aren't necessarily that available. So, because we have thought of come built things that will make that possible. And so we have a lot of stuff that we've done already 
that allows us to achieve some results that normally would be unachievable. And with the amount of capital that we have and the amount of time and energy and people that we have, you would think the things, some of the things we're doing, you would think we have 10 times the number of people available. And we don't. We might at some point. That, that could change. I'm not, I'm not going to say it won't. But we don't right now. So it, it is truly remarkable what's happening. And so that's, uh, I think, an expression of that we're doing some things right, if not most things. Now, do we get caught up in the propaganda? No. Uh, not only do we not get caught up in the propaganda, the propaganda that surrounds us is almost always of the most vile attacks you can imagine. They're not just propaganda. They are meant to be fully and completely destructive of who and what we are. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds crazy to anybody. Well, you're just teaching. Why would anybody want to destroy you? Well, you'd have to be on our side of defense to really see that, probably. But it is true. And, you know, we have we have other things that we have to be concerned about. And some of those things, oddly, have little to do with just teaching. Uh, some of the things that we're involved with are equally as political. And equally as, we'll say, uh, pushing back against some things that are terribly, horribly unfair and destructive. So it isn't like we just got this one thing that we're just hanging on to and that's it. It's sort of like we've entered into a number of areas because unfortunately or fortunately that's where we have to be doing whatever we have to do. And for a lot of people, it's a little hard to understand all that because they don't know what we're doing, so they can't figure it out. And sometimes we can't tell people what we're doing because it would be dangerous for others and for us. So it's a, it's a, it's a crazy thing that we, we are involved in. And some of it has to do, again, with bold actions. We are taking incredible levels of bold actions for who and what we are. Now, are they as bold as the President of the United States might take? No, I don't think so. But they are they as bold as uh, other things that that same President or anybody might do that might have a profound effect on the world? Yeah. Yes. But not overall, just in certain specifics. Yes, absolutely true. These are the kinds of things that are so, let's say, complicated that when I talk about what we do, it's almost impossible to really fully explain it. And there's more to it than just that. We support, obviously, the presence. 
in his bold actions, but we don't support him in his narcissism. And we don't support his crazy twittering and his fighting back and forth against the propagandists, propagandists and all that. So we could say we're, we're on his side, because we are. But we're also not supportive of all the things that he has done or might continue. That's, that's another issue. Gets into another more complicated thing. How can those who are listening help? Well, if you're listening, and if you find that this is of interest, even though you don't quite understand everything I'm saying, you could say, well, I could do this or I could do that. Sign me up for something. And you'll, you'll get a response from us because that's what we do. We don't, we don't just ignore you. So we'll respond. The response may not be what you exactly want or what you may want to do. But we'll give you a response as best as we can determine of the help that we need from whatever it is that you can do. The most critical element in everything is both timing and in making sure that what you're doing is truly what actions are happening. It's a very hard thing to fully recognize that issue. Now, I'm pretty much um, in favor of the changes in the race structure of the planet. I'm not 100% uh, I'll say liking the idea that the fourth ray has replaced what is called the third ray in this world. And the reason for that is fairly direct. The fourth rate is just not as strong. It doesn't have the ability to make as much change in and of itself, which weakens its ability to create light in the world compared to the third ray. The third ray can do more but it's also gone sour. It's really become bad. It's really been abused, misused, etc. And it needs to go away because of that. Now, it started to go away, believe it or not, in 2007. So it's been a long time. But now it's, for all intents and purposes, gone. And the fourth ray is coming in pretty strong. There's a lot of ways you can see where it's having an effect on people and things. I think that's not a bad thing. I might not think it's terrible or anything like that. What worries me is that it is not capable of handling as a race structure the severe kinds of terrible things that could come about in the next few years. And that worries me because I don't know that it could really do much to keep the world together, so to speak. And that's unfortunate. 
we have to live with what we got. We got to live to where where the world is right now, where it's going to, etc. Uh, probably the most provocative change is really not the coming in of the fourth ray, but the change overall. This is the overall elements of change. That's happening in the world as we'll call it a unit. And we've done everything we can to keep that part of what we're doing on the right track. There are some things that are really beyond everybody's control. And so things could get really dicey quickly if as the change in the overall race itself, it moves from the focus on the fifth sub-race to the sixth sub-race takes place, that's going to be more dramatic of an effect. And as I said earlier, it is worrisome. We, we need to have uh, that done in a way that works and not become caught up in all kinds of useless and even evil and absurd conflicts. And that could be between women and men if it were to take place. Very bad outcome if it went that direction. Everything we're doing is trying to prevent that. So don't think that we're just sitting around and not thinking about it. <laughs> we are thinking about it. We are trying trying to do whatever we can about it. But it's a biggie and not an easy thing to deal with. Now, we, at this time, take bold actions based upon what's happening in the surrounding world. And so each bold action that's taken in the surrounding world causes us to have to reassess our bold actions. If you follow what I just said. And the outcome of that is a, a, like a dance, and we're continually moving one way or another, do this or that, or that based upon this bigger picture that is surrounding what the world's becoming. And you still plan for all the scientific changes that I talked about. So everything's just incredibly complicated and difficult. Our overall position, overall, is to do nothing till we're almost pretty sure, not certain, pretty sure it's the right thing to do. So we're not jumping around, let's do this, let's try that. We're really very contemplative in trying to see the right things that will work in solving the issues that we see happen. We exist or live in a community of people who are pretty much um, more like the propagandist socialist group. <laughs> They're very strongly uh, what we call 
Democrats, they have um, a desire to control, not just a need, but an actual desire. They really want to control everyone and everything that they can think of. And their intolerance to anything that isn't uh, exactly the way they've already created it. So if you try new things, do new things, you're going to, you better do it very carefully and very secretively because they'll be on your case in no time. You might say, well, what the heck are you doing there? <laughs> Why don't you go to someplace else? Well, we did exist in other places at different times and had an easier time. But for reasons that it's not fully, fully we're not fully aware of, <laughs> we're, in, we're in this area, Tempe, that uh, it's not the greatest place to be for what kind of things we do. And we managed to make it work, but not without great effort and without keeping things from being, uh, getting out, being understood, what at least superficially we're doing. So we have a very odd type of existence because of just where we live. Not only do we office in Tempe. We live in Tempe. So you got both happening. It's really a complicated mess. But we manage. We manage to make it work even with all the stuff that goes on, which is pretty crazy stuff. Some of it you wouldn't believe. You'd say, that's not possible. They don't do that. Yeah, they do do that. <laughs> they do a lot more than that. So it's, it's really kind of a, a goofy, crazy thing that we have to, so to speak, live this way. Why is it good for us to be in Tempe? Because Tempe is still the teaching place, the place of where teaching is, a, is, a, is really prominent. And actually, teachers have more... Uh, more say and more authority about what's going on in Tempe than just by anybody else because of it. Uh, so it's a little strange that here we are in the midst of <laughs> uh, a place where it's very difficult to do what we're doing. But we're doing still. We're managing to achieve the results. Now, does that make it also a problem for our future situations. And yes, we have to account for all of the more hostile negative outcomes in almost everything we do. So it's like, God, you gotta be thinking about stuff that normally people wouldn't even wouldn't even come to mind. And we we have to seriously be concerned about. It's strange. Very, very strange stuff. We also have security problems because we're in an area that uh, people who want to rip off other people 
tend to gravitate to because there's a fairly large number of people who have no place to live. They live on the streets, in their cars, whatever. And these are uh, in the in large numbers within literally hundreds of yards from us. So we, we have to deal with this problem because they're there and we can't get away from them. And it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to deal with because that one problem in itself adds a lot of other difficulties to us trying to do things. And we never know who's going to be trying to tamper with, break in, smash, steal, anything. That's, that's a big problem because there's these folks that are living there. I like that. And there's not much we can do about the fact that they are so close and that they just are there. Yes, we can stop them usually from stealing something. We can usually stop them from uh, living right next to or in some part or some area around or in the building. But it still doesn't change the problem. It is a big problem, actually. And despite all those things, we're moving ahead and able so far to, uh, through great efforts, succeed in achieving the results that are turning out okay, even though it takes a huge effort to do it. Uh, if you eliminated all the things I just told you about, we could be operating in half to a third of the time and for a quarter of the cost. Isn't that remarkable? Yet we've had to put tremendous amounts of everything in to deal with all these difficulties. And frankly, it wears you out because it's one thing after another, day in and day out. You never know what to expect because it's going to be something almost every day. A lot of crazy stuff. A lot of crazy stuff. All right, so that gives you an idea of some of the things that we have to contend with considering the nature of the bold actions that have to be taken and we have to do them. So everything I described is actually a bold action because it requires unusual levels of every resource mentioned. Now, uh, I guess the last thing I want to talk about is going into, say, past the next few years. We are hoping to have a series of graphic novels that will be published and available in various forms um, within months to a year. And that's pretty 
amazing. And that's from the time we start on them. We haven't been able to start on them yet because there's all these other things that I just talked about. It keeps invading that possibility, but we're working on it. And the graphic novels actually could produce a significant amount of actual income, which we could definitely use. And then the next project that will take considerably longer, several years or more, is to create a series of, we'll call them, alternative examples of space-time and showing quantum physics and all kinds of other stuff that are related and to where and what God is and explain the whole thing in maybe a dozen or so uh, of these programs, we'll call them. That could be shown and then demonstrated with the projector that we have and some other things to schools. So these could be used in schools. They could, it could be used uh, over the internet. We could do it used in a lot of different ways. But the purpose is more of a solid educational type of thing and meant to really redefine the concepts of uh, physics, particularly astrophysics. So it's deeply into astrophysics, it's deeply into cosmology, it's deeply into ontology, which is the explanation of God and why things are the way they are. And it also explains uh, the process of the development of life. It's pretty amazing. And the reason for the so many needing so many parts is because each one will cover a specific sub-world, giving an explanation of that particular part of time space. Because it's so gigantic, you couldn't do it in one, just one time. You wouldn't have enough time to do it. And it would confuse people. They wouldn't be able to understand where or what you're talking about. So it's better that we define it first in terms of time-space, and then from that point, go into the differences and explain what's happening to um, the science and what's going on in terms of astrophysics and that sort of stuff. Now, we have done a little bit of this, so to speak, kind of in the past, just teaching ancient wisdom. But this is a different approach entirely. And it's much, much more sophisticated, more likely to produce some real changes in science. And to educate people about the universe in ways that probably nothing ever has done before. So that's all very, very, very good stuff. And that part, again, could be in the years category, to be certain. The other thing we're doing is more mathematical. We're trying to uh, create the mathematics that back up all of the explanations 
so that there's just as much math proving what we're saying as there is all of the sciences. And put together, that's a really good component. The math part requires someone who's unusually, we'll say, gifted at math and who is in many ways more than capable uh, of creating, well, maybe 150 pages of mathematical equations that prove, prove on a minor level, which we call the partial proofs, of the uh, statements we're making in all the other formats that we're working in. Finding such a person is not an easy thing, and we're still working on that too. And all these things put together lead to a change in the world itself, because the world cannot be changed with any simple single, like, just do this and it's all going to change. There's way too much darkness, and also, there's way too much world. I mean, you've got to really have a lot more that you can bring and show so that people start finding the answers in their own minds. Now, our approach has been that when we absolutely need to have all this happen, somehow it's all going to happen, even though right now, some of it I can't, I can't tell you exactly who or where or when it's going to happen. That's the goofy thing about our situation. And this is the same exact problem about the bold actions that have to be taken in the world in general. They all follow suit to the same problems. So it's like we're a mini-example, and everything I just described to you in a bit more, uh, of the way the world is presently uh, needing bold actions and trying to escape negative propaganda. And it's not an easy thing because we don't just have the difficulty of creating these things. We have the difficulty that we are still up against the dark side. And the more we get closer to doing what we're doing, the more the dark side is going to make themselves known in various, we'll say, negative ways. Uh, it's just part of the whole equation of what we're trying to do. Most of our future has already been planned in a long-term sense, but the exact ways of how we do each thing, we're still working on. And maybe that's good because the world keeps changing and we don't really know what bold action we're going to need six months from in comparison to today. So that's that's continually an issue. And there are really evil people who are trying to destroy us. Isn't that weird? Already. 
happening right now as I speak to you. And they have been for a long time. Uh, a preponderance of lies and a lot of uh, payoffs and other things have been done that have uh, led to quite a few problems that we've had to, and I still are, trying to deal with. If you have any interest in helping with those things, boy, we can use some help in those things. I'll tell you that right now. Because it's not without some significant issues that we're trying to work against. We have excellent comebacks, or we'll call it winning arguments, but a winning argument doesn't mean you win. You can have a winning argument that you lose every day on, because it depends who's up against you and what they're willing to pay to other people to stay in their side of the arena, and what they're willing to do, illegal or otherwise, to make what they want have it happen. Pretty remarkable. Well, I hope this has uh, kind of made some sense. I know it has not been easy listening to all this stuff that I'm telling you about. But we are taking as many bold actions as anybody possibly can. And the President of the United States is doing the same from the standpoint of the way he's now moving into and I hope he just continues in that way and I think that there's a common thread that you could look at both sides of what I just said to what's going to be the answers uh, if you want to contact us and like I said we'd love to hear what you have that you think might be of some value. And if you don't have anything, then just think well of us and realize that we're not here just for ourselves. We're really here for everybody who's listening and everybody who isn't listening, just everybody. We're here to make this a better world. Well, this has been, yeah, this, we're at the end of the show now. And this has been a show I hope that has helped people understand bold actions. And until next week, I'm Niles McFlower for Why Life Is. <laughs>